Can I get a drink for one fresh lemon? That seems fair. Pod 49, a conversation show about the now unfortunately canceled but always brilliant Lodge 49. It's been a while, but I'm joined by my uh, two intrepid co-hosts, Jim and Bart. How are you doing today in the age of Corona? Eh, you know, hanging in. (laughs) How about you, Jim? Uh, I'm doing pretty well. I've been upping my cooking game and... uh, Catching up with a lot of people on virtual happy hours and such, and um, working a lot, which distracts me from the existential dread. Yeah, I feel like I'm seeing more people through these Zoom meetings than I, you know, spending more time with the certain friends than I'd seen in a long time, and much more frequently. So, that, yeah. And I, I, I don't mind at all, actually. This is a very welcome break. I, myself, have been literally... Uh, I, I hate almost to use the word, but fantasizing about something just like this, where I cannot go into work, I must stay at home, and I must just like cook and think of uh, you know cocktails to make and stuff like that. So I, I, yeah, I'm enjoying it. I've seen the family a lot, spending a lot of time with the kids, and you know it's not too bad. We have uh, we have an outdoor space, so they can go run around, get their yayas out. Um, so we're not really cooped up, and I gotta go down to the, I go to the restaurant daily just to make sure nothing's leaking or anything. And um, so yeah, it's been totally fine for me. Watching movies, oh man, napping. I'm doing a lot of napping. Very yeah. excited about napping. What movies have you been watching? I watched. I saw this recommendation on Twitter actually for this movie called uh, Los Angeles Plays Itself. I don't know if you guys have seen that. Anyway, it's um, yeah. it's a documentary, or I guess it's a video essay. I never heard that term before, but that's how it was described. Wait, I have seen that. I have seen Twitter. that. Yeah, it's yeah. like almost three hours long, and I guess a video essay is different from a documentary because it's literally just a guy talking over images that he's taken from movies. I mean, some of them aren't from movies. I think, like he definitely shows pictures of L.A. or excuse me, Los Angeles. That's a big point of it I think is that the term LA was uh, created by Hollywood which uh, demeans kind of the city itself and that's kind of, he's a film professor who has um, lived in LA his whole life I would imagine he's like in his 60s or something like that he seems to have a really broad knowledge of film and uh, so he goes through a lot of the locations of movies like Blade Runner has basically been filmed in every single location available in Los Angeles was what I, one of the things I've learned. Um, but anyway, he mentions like 50 movies, so I started jotting them down, and so far I'm two for two of movies that I can just watch on YouTube in full. But one of the things I did want to bring up was one of the things he says, I think, and I'm paraphrasing here, but he basically says, any movie that's like good, well, how does he put it? Like, there, you can't have a good movie about Los Angeles unless there's a car involved. So a car has to be some sort of big part of it. And I was, and I immediately thought of uh, Dud's thing. You know, like that's the first thing. It's like running out of gas, and he pulls it up, and it's like, you know. And I know Long Beach is not Los Angeles, but it is, you know, still very similar culture with the highways everywhere. 
And I thought, well, there you go. Vice 49 passes yet another test um, where the, the car and, of course, the van is also sort of a big part of it as well. You know, they go on a road trip, all these great historical Los Angeles kinds of things. And um, so, yeah, that's what I've been doing. That's going to be my little film project is to go through and see mm-hmm. how many of these movies I can watch for free on YouTube. I discovered that I had a real hankering to watch Night of the Comet. Anyone remember that great 80s teen post-apocalyptic movie? That's that's on the list. That's on my list. Okay. Well, I'll tell you this. Let me give you a little hint. It is available for free on YouTube. See? That's what I'm saying. Yeah. It's better than Netflix. Uh, Another Los Angeles uh, movie, yeah. So, that's true. Um, So, I'm going to introduce that one to Amelia, I think, coming up here soon. That's got a great (laughs) mall scene, remember, where they kind of, like, they're the only two people left on Earth, and they go to the mall to, like, Valley Girls. So, there you go. So, we just connected you to a free movie on YouTube. Uh, We've gotten this far into it, and I have not yet said thanks to everybody in the Lodge 49 Nation. Very pleasantly surprised by, you know, everybody who came forward with the donation for the restaurant. It really touched my heart. I was really panicking about, you know, because I'm sure even if you don't know, you have an idea that like usually restaurants, I mean, I don't have anything in reserve. So once I knew that, in fact, once they started saying like you can only have half capacity at the restaurant, which is what they were doing at first, I was like, well, that sucks. I mean, you know, that, that they did that on a Friday night. And just by announcing that, we didn't even have to count to have half the people. We just had half the people because people were starting to get spooked. And I was saying, like, you know, I was a nervous wreck because I was like, well, I'm fully staffed for the whole weekend and we're going to be dead as shit. And, like, so just announce, just close us. Just tell us that we can't be open, you know. That, that way it's no longer, like, my fault or my issue. And so anyway, I was in real panic. And then I thought, well, maybe I'll do the to-go food and I can make enough money to settle up with them through that. But then after a couple of days, I realized that the sales I had were being, you know, kind of um, infused with people buying gift certificates, which was very nice of them. But it was also evident that, this, you know, I wasn't really making enough to make it viable. So the fundraiser was a lifesaver. I am now just got my money from GoFundMe and I'm starting to dole it out to everybody just seeing how many people that, you know, from the cast members to the crew to just even just people who follow our Twitter feed and even some who are, you know, fans of the podcast. I just was like, I don't know. It was very, very touching. It was a lot. I, you know, I thought maybe we'd get a one or I'd get one or two or something like that. But um, yeah, it was really wonderful. Thank you, Lodge 49 people. You're the best. I think we all know this. We talk about it. It's obvious to everybody who's been involved with it and paying attention, but I just wanted to make it official just how much I appreciate it. And it's a good segue, actually, Bart. Good professional radio trick. So what has Lodge 49 taught us in retrospect, right? Now that we we have the lessons of Lodge 49 locked in our brain and, and captured in our souls, what did it what did it teach us how is it helping us navigate these uh, coronavirus times how is it our roadmap how is it our mystical map i'd say one thing is just one of the themes of the show was interdependency and how you can't just go it alone and friends and family you know 
you need to rely on them, you know, sometimes or a lot of the time to help you get by. And, you know, just being separated from people kind of drives that home, you know, in your own life. And, you know, I've, one of the ways I've been, we've all been getting through is, is through, you know, Zoom or other virtual FaceTime, other um, you know, gatherings with, with friends and family remotely. And yeah, I've really been enjoying that. But also I think in a bigger sense, a lot of people are waking up to the interdependency of us as a people and society and how, oh yeah, we do rely on all these people who get paid shit wages and have no health insurance. Maybe we should treat them better. And I think if you're already someone who, you know, tries to be aware of that kind of thing and with with whom, you know, the those kind of themes from a show like Lodge 49 resonate, you know, it's in a way encouraging to see more people come to that realization. I don't know. That's my take. What do you guys think? I think for me, that really could, would have been something similar to, to what I'd said, would have said, and I have, a, I have another one, another one, so I have one in my pocket. But it, it really is about the, the idea of, the, of community, of fellowship, of those kind of bonds. I think, you know, it's amazing how much explosion of this kind of stuff on social media and text chains uh, and online spaces, people connecting through this kind of technology. It's been really remarkable how much people have like, it's a, not that similar to what Bart said a few minutes ago, like what are the positive aspects of this? It really feels like one fellowship community long, you know, relationships matter. Those kind of things are bubbling to the surface and people are finding ways to do that. That, that wouldn't have happened in normal life. So like, is it like the great, the great wake up call that makes people like, you know, and, um, and just on a daily life, like, how much of that kind of conversation has exploded has been awesome. You know, I mean, there's no other way to describe that part. So yeah, I, I would have had a, sim- a similar story. Although one thing I will say is another way that Lodge 49 kind of taught me for these times in a positive and negative way is it spoiled me on television. And it makes me like, would, and, and, and like right now where everything is like a, got an aftertaste, like even stuff you normally like, has an aftertaste sometimes like I'm like yeah outside of a couple shows um I've been like eh lame lame that goes for mm-hmm. movies too lame lame but I've been like listening to more music and reading more books which I think is like a real kind of like subversive theme of Lodge 49 as well so that, that that's sort of the you know to dive deeper into those kind of pieces of art has been another lesson uh, of Lodge 49 for me Bart, how about you? Well, the thing that keeps coming back to my mind really is uh, there's got to be a better way, right? I mean, I think what's becoming clear is just how um, how risky our entire um, existence is in this place. I mean, you know, we are the richest country on earth and all that kind of stuff, and we have absolutely no safety net. And, um, you know, my hope is that people start to see, you know, for example, they're now reducing the cost of insulin to $35 a month, you know, which then brings up the obvious point, which is, well, then I guess you could have done this all along. I'm hoping that a lot of dominoes like that fall where people start to kind of realize, you know, it's like the reason they want to get you back to work is because they're not making the money, which then obviously is that it's like, well, you are the ones making the money, right? I mean, so like we all have this, you know, societal unfortunate respect for billionaires. Um, 
And I'm hoping that it just sort of starts to make things a lot clearer for people. You know, um, you know, it struck me. I had one of my line cooks was just like, because they were taking turns because I'd only have one on and I was, you know, trying to split up the shift so that they could all get a little something. And one of them just said, you know what, I'm not coming back. And, you know, he just said something, you know, that was like, uh, he's like, sometimes we just have to look after ourselves, you know, and it really kind of stuck, stuck with me. That's what I hope people can start to realize that, you know, we're in the late stage of capitalism. This place is, is the shit. This is the shithole country, actually. And there's got to be a better way. And those are all stuff that the show. That's why I think even before this, it resonated so hard for, with me anyway. But yeah. And I agree with Chris, and I felt that way for a long time, that this, like, other stuff doesn't really match up. It's hard to find heart, you know, like other shows, other movies. One of the things Lodge 49 just, like, kind of has in such abundance that I think we all feel and get is the, the heart of the show, you know? And I think that's a really hard thing to kind of pull off. You can't just, like, manufacture that. It has to come from something real to start with, and I think that's what the show has always had, so. And does toilet paper, of course, right? <laughs> It's so prophetic. Although Doug's the type of guy that would be like, here, here, just take it. You know, before the angry mobs coming at, running after him, you know. And he's a pool guy, so he probably has a bidet on his toilet. Yeah, he was proto-quarantine man. <laughs> proto-quarantine. <laughs> I do this I do this sports business podcast, and my co-host is a is a pretty right wing. Like I'm couching it just to be kind of nice, but you know, his his beliefs are are, are pretty frightening. And uh, <laughs> he was like, just a couple weeks ago, and was like, he was like, traditions, and they can't cancel this. And this is sports. They can't cancel that. I'm like, dude, they're canceling all that. You know? And this is before the NBA. That was like, I was like, I guarantee by the time this airs three days from now, it's going to be a rel- like, our <laughs> conversation's already going to be stale. And, uh, and he was like, he said something about American exceptionalism. Like, I have faith in American exceptionalism. I was like, dude, this is like, this is the postscript for American except. It's not even the deck. This is like, yeah, like I'm like American exceptionalism. For, yeah, it's not relevant and it's going to get destroyed by this. It's like the worst, it's, it's the worst of both worlds. <laughs> if it does get destroyed by this, then that's a great positive because the, the, that people can even think that is, uh, it's very frightening that you could actually think that. And I know lots of people do. The virus doesn't give a shit that you're American. I mean, we're not even at the level of debate, <laughs> but we're not even at the level of debating like the, uh, you know, Henry Kissinger's view of American exceptionalism as a foreign policy construct. I mean, no, we're talking about like, you know, like a ripped Trump on top of a tank getting a rim job by a bald eagle, you know? It's like... You're being very just, generous. We're not discussing the intricacies of international politics where that term even actually originates. We're talking about like something completely mutated. And the original conceit was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, I forgot to tell you guys this, but I went back because I was like, I know I texted the two of you about this virus like a long time ago. So I searched in my text for virus. It was January 23rd. I texted something, but it got lost in the conversation because you guys were talking about Picard and Michael (laughs) Chabon and how there was going to be a Cavalier and Clay movie and stuff. But I had texted... I just read I, yeah, I just read an article in the Times about, about Wuhan and what's happening in the huge spread, and I wrote, what is this virus? Are we all going to die? 
<laughs> and then there was like it just slipped back into Picard and like it totally got lost through the cracks well I feel like I definitely knew about it back then I think I knew about it <laughs> but that was like right after our trip like we had that awesome trip to Long Beach and got to hang out with Lodge 49 cast and crew and fans and uh, that was such a fun time and then that seems like forever ago now it was like not even three months ago, or I guess it was. It was maybe exactly three months ago. Yeah, that was our that was our highlight of the year. You know, marked in January seventeenth. <laughs> yeah, talk, no. When you look back, it's going to be the only salvageable thing, except for maybe surviving of uh, twenty twenty shit year. That's for sure. Um, All right, Jim, you got some uh, you got some discussion prompts. Why don't you go ahead and lay them on us? Which character from Lodge 49 would we want to be stuck in pandemic lockdown with? Bart, you go first. I don't want to be too obvious, but it seems like it'd be a lot of fun to just watch a lot of TV with Dud and Liz. They seem to do that pretty well. Now, all I can think of is the actors' names, but uh, David Pasquese's got the apothecary, so he's got tons of weed. Right, Blaze, so yeah. That Blaze, Blaze with tons of weed would be good. Well, he also has keys to the bar, so you could sneak away and go to right. the bar. In fact, I've been, like, every once in a while, I'll, I'll have a friend come in, and we stay distant, but we have a couple drinks together at the bar, and it's, it's, it's fucking awesome. I gotta say, like, just having, like, standing behind the bar and having one person, <laughs> and then, like, slinging him a drink every once in a while, you know? And, like, I would walk up, and he would walk away from the glass. I'd pour him a shot. I don't touch the glass with the, with the bottle of Jameson's, and then i you know, walk away, then he'd walk up, and then we'd continue sure. talking. Um, so Blaze could be kind of fun because you could, you know, go back and forth between the apothecary and the bar. Um, but I don't know if he has a kitchen, so that could be tough. Yeah, because they had pancake breakfast there. I guess that's my answer then. I, the Lodge. I would just want to stay with the Lodge, at the Lodge. I think I'd hang out with Ernie. I think here's here's my, at least my twofold reasons why. Number one, the guy's... A good conversation list has lots of good stories and is also a good listener, right? It's like a two-way street with Ernie. He listens and responds. So you'll get a good dialogue. Reason one. Reason two is Ernie's an older cat. He's an older middle-aged guy. He understands that both of you are going to need alone and quiet time. So, you know, it's like you're going to talk and do your thing, and when you need to go do your thing by yourself... He's going to be fine with that. You can have you can get to those common understandings quickly with Ernie, which means that's what you need for the long haul. Yeah, I was going to say something similar about Liz. Like Liz is definitely a person that likes alone time, and I feel like if we were in the same house, it'd be like, okay, let's just be apart for like the next two days and not see each other. But uh, aside from her, I was going to say um, Scott because Scott is so skilled and resourceful. He's like a provider. He can, you know, he's like good at fixing stuff up and I don't know, people are intimidated by him just because of his physicality. So like if he was going to the grocery store or somewhere, they'd be like shying away, you know, he would win the battle of social distance of like getting up to the the grocery store shelf or whatever. I don't know. Yeah. Just don't step out of line with Scott, that's all. <laughs> I don't know. He's a little... Although he loosened up, obviously. Yeah, towards the end of season two, two yeah. You know, he, he paid for shit, too. A little bit of a short too. fuse there. 
True. Right. He does pay for stuff. I mean, that big TV, yeah. It depends you on... Know. Yeah. Yeah. Depends on what angle you want to take on it, I guess. But yes, I'm sure Scott is the most uh, secure financially. Yeah, like who could keep working? I guess Ernie's going to keep working because they're not shutting down construction, even though that they probably should. Scott would be still working because he's in the Coast Guard. So he's a Harbor Patrol. A Harbor yeah, Patrol. Similar. Harbor. So, yeah, similar. Uh, yeah, yeah. But he, he, would, yeah, he, he would be working. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Jim, what's our next What's our next question? Okay, next question. I thought we could discuss which of the shops in the uh, strip mall are the most essential or which one is the most essential, however you want to approach it. And this is with the thought that Blaze was going to open up another pop here, I think, or another dispensary. Do you guys think that he was going, that's what he was going to open in the, the pool shop space? I would assume, yeah. So we'd have, we have donuts, we have a pawn shop, and we have a pot dispensary slash maybe some healing arts going on there as well. What do you guys think? Are all of those essential? Are some or not some and others not? Is one stand out to you as like that's if you had to choose one? Uh, the donut shop would be would be crushing it right now, I think, because it's definitely to go. I mean, obviously they have tables, but you know everybody. It's just donuts and coffee, so they can just sell it to go. It can be safe. Um, so yeah, that kind of stuff. I think, especially when there's huge lines at the grocery store becomes that much more appealing to just kind of go pick something up. So I think the the donut shop is going to be fine. And also in California, um, the dispensaries are essential. And um, so he would be fine. And... No, but, but I mean, for you personally, though, for you personally, like, what would be your essential business? Well, I would just hit them up both. I would go and get some donuts when I was getting my weed. <laughs> and then I'd try to stay away from Bert's shop because... Bird's gonna be rolling in it until um, he until he gets like attacked by a mob, which is definitely in his future if this goes on for another couple months. So far, Bart, you've cheated on every question. You've named like four four yeah, people, you didn't pick one, and then the lot. <laughs> and now, <laughs> now you've, you've and I forgot to... Tony the Psychic. I forgot Tony the Psychic. <laughs> that was before. Yeah. Uh, that was before we started, but, but yeah. Oh, right. He was going to be another one of your, yeah, quarantine companions. Anyway, well, Chris, there's no businesses left for you now, so. That's right. <laughs> I guess they're all open. I, get, I, I benefit from uh, Bart's greed. Um, no, I'm going to go on right on the nose and say the dispensary would be, be the one I would need to keep open of those three. I could secure the... Uh, the vices of uh, financial prison and sugar and caffeine and other locales. Dispensaries are right. not as uh, common. All right, but there are other places to get weed. And actually, I've been wondering this. I don't know. I assume our weed delivery service is still going during this time? Or I people think people are a little freaked out. out. At least um, their distance drops. I loaded up yeah. right beforehand. And um, the guy I get it from uh, says that the people he gets it from are not doing it. But uh, maybe that will come back around. So, yeah, I mean, for me, for me, it would be donuts because I can't I can I feel like I could maybe find weed somewhere else. And also, I don't smoke a lot of weed in the first place. So that's, you know, um, but 
I do have some in lockdown, but um, I hopefully would not get into a situation. I'm not so far where I would feel like I needed to start pawn my, pawning my belongings to Bert or taking a loan from him. But a lot of people are that financially desperate right now because millions and millions of people have been laid off. Um, so as kind of sinister as his business practices might seem, he might play a role that, you know, people need <laughs> or would, would take advantage of at least. Anyway, for me, donuts, I can't make my own donuts. I don't know how to make donuts. And so I have the donut place. This is how people would be using Bert. They would be going in probably last week or depending on how fast they issue them, maybe even this week and asking for an advance on their $1,200 rebate check. So they, right. So they, they end up getting like seven seventy two point, you know, and 32 cents uh, against their, their 1200 that, that he'd have a, a six foot separation line down the block for that. But the joke's on Bert because as we found out today, the banks can now, uh, if you're behind on any of your bills, the banks can keep the banks that get the check first and before they give it to you, they can take out, they can deduct from that any money that you owe. <laughs> what? Yeah, owe the bank heard. or owe anybody? No, they're mailing them to people though. They're mailing them straight to you. They're not, the banks don't get them. I don't know. I, I just saw this today that... Um, Oh, well, the small business loans are going through banks. No, I heard it was a $1,200 one, but no, yes, well, definitely, it definitely the small business if you, yeah. If you filed, if you file, if you get your, your reef tax refund through a direct deposit, then it goes into that direct yeah, it goes deposit into your bank, bank. Account. but right. I think we're, yeah. both of you and are if, right. If, and if you're behind on your credit card through that bank, they can right. take that first. Right. Really? Yeah. So, th- so there still is a lever of control oh, in between true. your bank and the deposit. Yeah. And that's the other thing, like the PPP loan, which, uh, you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm going for the EIDL one, which is emergency disaster loan. Um, but from what I understand about the PPP loan, which is supposed to be like you can use 75% of it to for staff and then 25% for rent and utilities, and then it's forgivable. Uh, the loan is going through your bank. So, um, and then when, uh, in a couple months' time, when things get back to normal, apparently, the banks are going to then just look, they're going to make you prove where you spent every last little penny. And if you can't, if you if there's a discrepancy, then they're just going to make you pay it back. And so I got real cold feet with that one. Jeez. I mean, it's at like very low interest rate, but it's, you know, it was supposed to be forgivable, and it's not going to be if they can handle it. Well, it's small print. Yeah, forgivable if yeah. if these conditions are yeah. But what's weird is that it's money given from the federal government that goes to the banks, and then so the it's not the bank's money, but then they get to if they make you pay it back, then it becomes their money. It, uh, it's it's not weird. It's, uh, it's it's I don't know. It's I mean it it sucks. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying by saying it's not weird. It's not bad, but it's the destruction of the public state, right? Yeah, which is a a fifty year program and and accelerated over the last fifteen years. 
So if you you know if your point is to to destroy the public sector to the point where it can't do something like print and send checks, um, then of course then you then your only option the option that you're actually proposing is the private one. So to me, it's just a giant example of the clusterfuck that is the destruction of the public state because that's why suddenly we've elevated the intermediaries of private industry in which they're not needed and they cause they destroy efficiency they take more cuts throughout the the chain and their interests are not the public yeah so to me it's like the same reason why the military doesn't watch its own clothes anymore yeah and they've been getting medical equipment and then giving it to the to corporations to then sell right. to states and hospitals and whatever yeah. instead of just providing it we, we're, because we're, it's needed. We're underwriting a less efficient, more expensive private bureaucracy yeah. rather than just having an efficient, well-run public bureaucracy. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know why there aren't pitchforks. I mean, maybe there will be. That's all I can hope for, really. But, like, as people get to know these things, you know, it's just so absurd, you know. I mean, that, you know, all this stuff is bought with taxpayer money, then it's given to the corporations who are then auctioning it off to the highest bidder. Did you hear about, like, um, somebody in, like, I don't know, the governor's office of Illinois, like, rushing down the highway to meet somebody in a, in a McDonald's yeah. parking lot to give them a check for $3.4 million right under the wire? Oh, the, Jesus. The New England Patriots. You know, making their cutting their own private deal for Massachusetts and using its own direct line supply chain of the the jet airline, you know, to get get it there faster. Yeah, it's 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 horrific. I mean, I'm glad for the people and doctors and nurses or whatever that got that PPE in Massachusetts. I mean, like, but that's that's. And listen, I'm I'm part of the philanthropic industrial complex in many ways, but that's you know in some place that that's how it works you know you rely on the largesse of billionaires whether it's the you know the percentage of their their trust that gets given away to charity or it's those kinds of like largesse moves like what's his face who owns the patriots but that's we're all at the beck and call of those wins yeah so yay for massachusetts in that case i guess if only there was some other way to, to get their money instead of begging for it. That is, nothing comes to mind, but um, I guess we'll just have to get I, mean, I hate to sound like a tea partier, and I don't mean that like that I believe what tea party says, but like their original genesis. I mean, everyone talks about rent strike this and all that. Yay, sure, whatever. But like, there should be a tax strike. I mean, that's the real fallacy here, right? We've all paid into these systems that we get none out. And if you happen to live in a blue state or the or northeast or the west, then you're paying double for those services that you're not receiving. It's the biggest boondoggle of all time. So there should be a tax strike. That that would actually be the effective political boom. Because if you had a critical mass of people that just didn't pay their taxes because it's like, fuck this, you know, then that wakes a lot of people up. And you're not going to prosecute them on mass. That's true. I don't know. It's hard to know. It's weird, though. I don't... I, yeah. I, I just don't... I, I'm not one of those people who is anti-taxes. <laughs> but, I mean, if that's if that would I'm work to, get, to, to wake some, the system up or something, I, I'd I be for it. I think that's why you like, do it. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, that's yeah. what I'm saying. Like, it's strange bedfellows, right? You know, if the, the Tea Party thinks that, you know, no one should have to pay anything, you know, that... What, that their argument is so fallacious it's you know hard to listen to but um, but yeah I mean if I mean if you could get everybody to do that at once it certainly yeah. would bring it to a grinding halt well no what they would do is cut all programs and benefits for poor people they would still have the military they would still you know be building missiles and planes and they would still you know it, all, they, all they would do is screw us and people who are Less well, they're already doing that anyway. That's how it would. That's how it. And play. yeah, they, yeah, but it would be much worse. They just print money for themselves, which is what they can do. Yeah, because the deficit. It's the idea of the deficit is a is a hoax. Yeah. Okay, so on this theme, speaking of segues, um, on the theme of kind of corporations taking advantage of the moment uh, for profits. Um, uh, the last question I wanted to ask was, how do we think that Janet and possibly Tarquin, if he was still allied with her as her uh, right hand man, would um, find what kind? You know, would they find a way to profit off of coronavirus or quarantine or um, you know social distancing? What do you guys think? I. I- I think it's a godsend for Janet um, because it's like a way of, you know, she was just about to get um, prosecuted, right? She was like basically on the lam in Mexico and now all of a sudden she's going to get a relief package. So it's like uh, she was saved by the bell, sort of. That's that's sort of what I think. (laughs) And she'll probably uh, claim herself as a small business as the hedge funds did today. So they can take advantage of small business. Really? Lines, really? Yes. Employees, right? <laughs> Went high-speed computer and three traders. Yeah. I've, yeah, I've been pretty much stayed away from the news. Like The past three or four days, I have not paid attention to the news at all. So I'm not up on all this stuff, but I also have been in a better mood. <laughs> Just getting back to Janet for a second. I Since they had, you know, they had uh, Shamrocks and then they did higher stakes, I feel like... They would be the first to come up with some restaurant model that worked in this era where there's like everyone is has like glass between them and everybody else or something where you're like forced into your own little compartments. It'd be like an automat, but instead of like the food being in there, it, every, the, all the people would be. Um, you're just sort of like sectioned off, but somehow still being being served like through some kind of little doorway or something, you know, little cubby holes. But they would still let you customize your uh, your color scheme and whatever uh, avatar you put on the front, so everyone would just be tickled and be excited to be in their self-contained bubble. <laughs> look, it's like a Zoom background, yeah. right? Like, oh, look, like I'm such an individual. No, we're here to talk to you. This is a technology that enables the connection. I don't give a shit about your bad green screen. Um, that's an interesting one, Jim. Mine would be, I think... I think Tarquin and Janet would say, get me the fuck out of the restaurant uh, conglomerate business, right? Get me out of big ag, get me out of like big industrial restaurants and just fully embrace the bullshit guru part of it, right? Because that's the real shit. If they just just travel from Marriott in conference rooms across America and charge rubes $150 to hear their ideas about, you know, the efficiency of lettuce shipping in, in a regional restaurant scheme or flip it into some whatever, that's the boondoggle. So I would imagine the two of them would be, you know, snake oil salesmen uh, across 
across the country and given people's paranoia and freak out and need to think if they could reinvent themselves, they'd get, you know, it'd be P.T. Barnum across the United States. It'd be like barnstorming. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, she gets, probably wouldn't even do it physically. The hologram, the hologram of Janet, remember? Yeah. yeah, right. It's exactly. Perfect social distancing, yeah. right? I mean, you know. Right, exactly. Right, we're hologramming in the talking head. So that's what I think they'd be perfecting. Yeah, that makes sense. We've always been ahead of the curve on flattening the curve. Okay. Right. Yeah, all those people, whether it's real estate, whether it's business, all those people are like, their their brilliance was that they're understanding that the industry, A, the industry was hard and not many people make it at the level that they aspired to. And two, that you could just rip off rubes. There's a much easier, you know, so like every, all those people are just like, they didn't have a very successful career. Their business sense was when to bail and switch. Yeah. Let me tell you about real estate, you know. Well, if you were that good at real estate, you'd be selling houses. <laughs> do you guys ever see, do you ever see the Yes Men? Oh, yeah. Any of their stuff? Their pranks and, yeah. Their pranks. Um, <laughs> well, they had this one where uh, they created this suit. And um, basically, it was like this puff doll that you got into. And um, and then it had essentially like this erect penis that came up to your face. That um, And then you could like see all your employees and you could hold meetings through it. And it's like when you see this contraption that they built, it was such an obvious like, you know, sight gag. And it was really funny. But the, to me, the funniest part of that whole movie was, was how the people in the room didn't they fell for it hook line and sinker you know they were like buying into it and they it took a long time for them like the yes men themselves sort of thought that they would get like found out very quickly you know so they were like they you know they have their escape routes and stuff like that you know they 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 realize like that you know people are going to figure it out because it's so outlandish but what was so funny about it was how how many people in the audience were like nodding along and like you know thinking you know because they're making a joke about how you know like like with this technology you can not only watch your employees as they work but when they take their breaks in the bathrooms at their homes you know and you've got a bunch of like you know mo- like people worth tens of millions of dollars like nodding along like this sounds great you know so yeah I mean to me it's it's an open market for the Janet people, especially now that it's going to be like a Zoom world, business world. Yeah. All right, so Chris is, has to wrap things up, so let's talk about the Middlemen uh, Book Club. Ah, yes, the Middlemen Book Club. We're finally, we're, we're finally going to make it happen, and we've talked a big game now for months and months, but it seems like uh, we've got to reclaim Zoom from the corporate overlords. Um, so... Our first thing is we're going to do on April 28th, which is a Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern, we're going to do a Zoom book club where we discuss the first two stories in Middleman. Jim, do you have your book candy? Do you want to name the first two stories? Uh, I do, yeah. And just in case people, it's new to people, uh, Middleman was written by Jim Gavin, the creator of Lodge 49, and it's a um, collection of short stories. Uh, the first two stories are Play the Man and Bermuda. So we're doing those two. Nice. And so all of this information on how to follow up will be in the show notes. Uh, and again, we'll put out a way to you to name your interests. Once we hear that, we'll give you a Zoom link. It'll be 8 p.m. Eastern time on 
April 28th, which is a Tuesday night. And, you know, we'll see who shows up in Zoom and we'll discuss those two stories. We'll record them uh, so that we have a record of that. If it works as its own episode, fine. If it if we use those some of those clips later, also fine. We're just kind of experimenting here. We'll adjust after that and see what happens. Thoughts? Uh, how are we going to get the Zoom link out to people just through the Twitter? Yeah, account? I'll have a way for people to sign up and sort of name their interest. And once I have that, I'll I'll direct message them in some or email or whatever them the link. Okay, awesome. And we're also thinking about doing a season one rewatch where we rewatch season one because we didn't have uh, an episode per uh, a podcast episode per season one episodes we had kind of a discussion of season one so if we want to we had what two two episodes originally to cover all of season one yeah which is just not enough so we're thinking very hard very seriously about doing uh re-watching it recording one every couple weeks and then you know at the end of that we'll be complete there will be a pod 49 for every episode of lodge 49 there's a certain symmetry there yeah all right uh any final thoughts stay safe stay healthy you know, try to find the, the laughs and the rainbows where you can and get get angry where it's important. Yeah, good idea. I remember thinking that, like, well, we should just take a break from this. It doesn't seem very appropriate right now. And it's been, you know, about a, a month or so in. And so now it feels kind of appropriate again. So I'm happy to get to have some something, something to look forward to and something to keep busy with. All right, so we will see you soon.